This is the Hog Kong Football That's right, Hong Kong football fans. This is the Hong Kong football podcast coming to you from Kowloon, Hong Kong, in a week in which Eastern's penalty against Kawasaki gives them their first points in Champions League Group G. Sandra, at his best against the boys from the Northwest, helps Kichi win a one-sided contest. And HKFC in heaven with their first win in 11, taking their points total up to six. <laughs> We've got all the reaction from those ACL and HK Premier League games, plus Sapling Cup semi-finals to look ahead to, and a call from South Korea to talk about Easton's next opponents in the Champions League. My name, as always, is James Legg, and I am joined, as always, by Tobias Duse. Now, Toby, I believe you had some CSL fun this weekend. Yes, eventually I was allowed to travel as an away fan to <laughs> Guangzhou. I, so you were in Guangzhou, so I guess you were there supporting our favorite local CSL team, <laughs> Guangzhou Evergrande. Of course not. <laughs> I supported Beijing Guan, who were there for the first game of the season. And it is usually one of the best games in the CSL when Evergrande plays Guan, and it really turned out to be like this. I think around 48,000 people inside the stadium. It was really packed and amazing atmosphere. Unfortunately, Beijing lost 2-1 in the end, but it shows you, again, like that Chinese football right now develops in the right direction. And speaking of the CSL, it was a big weekend for Hong Kong's CSL players, am I right? Indeed, Hong Kong has two CSL players uh, this season. The first one is Festo Space, who was promoted with his team Guizhou last season into the CSL. Who is the very good Hong Kong centre-back who used to play for Eastern and Citizen, I believe? Yeah, and what was interesting is that he captained Guizhou for this game. And probably he will captain them throughout the season. That will be very likely because the captain of last season in the China League 1 was also on the pitch at the same time. And yeah, he played a a good game. I think it ended in a 1-1 draw. And other than that, Jack City was also in action. Wow, okay. Well, he last season he wasn't getting a game, was he? So, big day for him. Yes, he hardly got any games last season. And this time he started right away um, and on his usual position as a right back. And I think he stayed for the entire 90 minutes. He got booked very early. <laughs> but he had to face a very strong opponent. That was Shanghai SIPG. And uh, unsurprisingly, it ended in a in a big win for... The Shanghai team. Yeah, I think Hulk got at least one of the goals. No? And Elkerson, yes. Oh. Well, big weekend for both of them and good luck to both of them for the rest of this season, representing Hong Kong abroad, which not many people do. One of the other things that caught my eye, and I bring it up because I think it's sort of relevant to the Hong Kong football situation, is this situation with the under-23 players in the CSL. There was a little bit of farce, wasn't there? Can you fill us in on this new rule that they've brought in? Yeah, so during the transfer window in mid-January, the CFA suddenly decided that all clubs have to field at least one U23 player in their starting 11 and have another U23 player on the bench. So this is the minimum requirement that every club has to fulfill. It came very late for them, so a lot of teams were not prepared for this and had to look for 
U23 players. And do these guys have to be Chinese on the 23s or from anywhere? Yes, they have to be Chinese, Chinese. So not Taiwanese, not from Macau, not Hong Kong. Exactly. And there was a controversy here because Brian Fogg, an under-23 player for Shanghai Shenhua, who is a Hong Konger and signed the contract before this will change. So he will actually count as a Hong Konger at the moment as much as Sealy does and Festus Base does. And Shanghai wanted to register him as a U23 player, as one of the four that they have to register in an entire squad. But the CFA rejected. Did they give any reason? The reason was that they have to be properly Chinese and eligible to play in a Chinese national team, which is a big disappointment because actually he has the valid contract that that would give him the right to play. It wouldn't be the first time that the CFA made up the rules as they go along. Exactly. Okay, but this rule came in anyway, and what it led to was some slightly bizarre situations on the pitch. Yes, it happened in the first few games. For example, Yao Ning, they substituted the U23 player off after just uh, 15 minutes, 16 <laughs> minutes. Of course, completely um, ridiculing the rule. I think the reason that they gave later is that the, the U23 player was too much under pressure and this is why they took him off. But it was just like bullshit. Well, if he wasn't under pressure to begin with, he is now that he's all over the papers and <laughs> has been basically told by his team, you can't play in this game because you're not good enough. But on the other hand, um, there were a couple of teams that, for example, Goicho, they started with two U23 players. Some of them stayed on the pitch for the entire time. And also the big teams like Guangzhou, Evergrande, Beijing, Goan, they left their U23 players on for like 60, 70 minutes. So... I think that the general idea is good, the implementation is still lacking, but um, I think why you brought it up is that this is something we might discuss today about Hong Kong as well. Yeah, because Hong Kong has this kind of situation with trying to have rules about who you should have on the pitch and so on. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, thanks to the CSL update. But now to the really important league that the whole world's eyes are on, the Hong Kong Premier League. And what a shock result on... Sunday at the Taipo Sports Ground where HKFC, bottom of the league, HKFC beat Taipo 2-1. Massive result for HKFC. One of the interesting things that they started with Shunsuke Nakamura, not to be confused with the Shunsuke Nakamura who used to play for Celtic and Espanyol all those years ago. He is a Japanese forward who's known for his effervescent and physical performances in the Football Sevens tournaments, which you may have seen or been to over the years. He made a couple of subs appearances earlier in the season, but he made his first start against Rangers last week, and then he started again in this game. He was heavily involved. He was involved in the first goal when he showed that physical aspect to his game and that tenacity to dispossess Lui Chi Hong in the right-back position before going past another player and delivering the assist for Robert Bacon to open the scoring to make it 1-0 in the 52nd minute. Woeful typo defending only seven minutes later when a cross was allowed to go loose in the box meant that the right winger shipper for HKFC was allowed to finish nicely from the six-yard line. Typo had had so much of the ball. They had 21 shots in the whole game. They had 72% possession, but they made nothing of it. They did actually get a penalty, <laughs> but Lucas De Silva blazed it over. And then David Lazari added a constellation goal 
with the back post header in extra time. Now, what happened to Typo? That's a good question. I think if you look at the stats, they had most of the possession. As you already pointed out, they had a lot of shots. So they were definitely a dominant team, but they just didn't score. And paired with a poor defensive performance, the second goal was... The was second goal is absolutely um, horrendous. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, HKFC deserved that win, just making more of the chances. And I even believe that Typo underestimated it a little bit, given um, the track record of HKFC. Of course, Typo seemed to be the clear favorite. And, and what I'm wondering is how much there was this psychological factor still with HKFC going there last season, winning 5-1. So I think that they maybe just really waited for the chances and they, they made the best out of it. Yeah, and good result for them. Let's not take away from HKFC. Does this signal a resurgence for them? It's hard to say. The both wins that I saw now against Taipo and Glorious Kai were actually against the, the game tendency. So... I think that HKFC can still cause serious upset, but the luck needs to be on their side. For these two games it was, which is fair enough. But of course, a decisive game is yet to come. Yeah, I mean, they've got massive fixtures. So on Wednesday night, as in tonight when this podcast goes out, hopefully, they're going to play South China away. We'll talk about that in a little while. But then after that, in the next kind of full game round of the Premier League, they're playing BC Glory Sky, which is just massive for both teams. That's the bottom team versus the second bottom team it's a real opportunity for HKFC to build on this typo result and that'll just be a massive game won't it it's on a Friday night under the lights in Happy Valley yeah look forward to that one on Saturday Kichi who was second played Yun Long who were third in the league and still are incidentally now this was supposed to be a bit of a tough one for Kichi but it wasn't really they won 4-1 Yulong started without Randelovic, um, and they had their midfielder, Anlok Fung, suspended after that kick-out against Southern. Now, Kichi started without their usual fullbacks of Lo Kuan Yi and Danny Cancela, with Lam Kar Wai as the captain in place of Lo. And they really packed out the midfield, mostly with people called Lam. I mean, it, it didn't seem to have the normal feel of the kind of three three at the back with full backs. It just looked like three at the back with like six midfielders, which was slightly different. Fernando was the constant threat, especially in the first half. And it was from his cross that Sandro popped up unmarked to head home in the 16th minute. I think the goalie should have done a lot better with this one at the near post, shouldn't he? Yeah, he should have. I totally agree. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> then three of those lambs, Matt Lamb, Lamb Kawai and Lamb Tikin combined on the top right-hand corner of the pitch to deliver for Sandro's second, had a goal on 32 minutes. That's Sandro's 10th of the season. And I feel a little bad because I've kind of constantly keep going on about how Kichi don't have this centre-forward option in the same way that Eastern and South China have. And, well, 10 goals now. I don't think... I think I need to shut up saying that. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Most of them with his head. Good good season for Sandro so far. And let's not forget, Akanda is still missing. So, Sandro really took over the, the role as the main goal scorer now. Yeah. And 
Do we know any word on when Alex Akande will be back? Not yet. Oh, we'll have to keep scoring then, won't we? <laughs> now, Sanjo sets up Jared Lum, who was on as a substitute for Lam Wai, and that made it three in the 65th minute. Again, the goalie looking pretty dodgy for Yun Long. And then the substitute Rufino unselfishly set up Lum for his second goal to make it four before Andelovic made it 4-1 in extra time. He had also come on as a substitute. Now, I think the most interesting thing about this game, as you'll notice, I mentioned that Jared Lum came on for Lam Kawai in the second half, which meant at that point that Kichi had not one player born in Hong Kong on the pitch. This seems like the kind of thing that would get you pissed off, Toby. Yes, it really bothers me. I think we discussed it already a few times, I think, in the podcast, given the fact that Kichi is fielding a relatively old team in the first place and also a lot of non-local-born players. They can do this because the HKFA still has this domestic player rule in place that allows um, clubs to field people that hold the Hong Kong identity card but are not eligible to play for the national team. So you mean they have permanent residency? Yes. But they don't have a Hong Kong passport. So they wouldn't be eligible in, say, the AFC or in an international game. But they are eligible as Hong Kong locals in the Hong Kong Premier League. So examples would be Matt Lam, Jared Lum, Lam Zigin. I think that's all of them, isn't it? Yes. This should be all, if I remember correctly. Then a few of their reserve players as well. It really points to this problem again when we especially talk about the national team and the lack of young talents there. And given what you mentioned at the very beginning, the U23 rule that they implemented in China, it really begs the question if Hong Kong should have something similar. The interesting thing is that it came up in the media that Kichi just um, fielded non-local-born players and they're relatively old squad, right? I think the youngest national team player that was on the field was actually Sandro, who is now 29 in a few days. So at the same time, Kichi is loaning out their talents like Ngan Lokfung or uh, Li Lingai Hoi to other teams where mm-hmm. they might can hope to get some playing time. But generally, the team is quite old and non-local, you could say. And after the game, media also inquired with the different chairman because the Yun Long chairman, he complained a little bit. So he made this a little bit ironic comment that, yeah, you know, Kichi just feel that foreigners and we brought in the young talent and so you know it's okay to lose and of course Ken cannot let this happen without commenting on it so he basically said that you know but that that's the rule and we're just following the rules that are given to us and the young players that they're not ready yet to play and this is why they're not appearing in the starting 11 which I think is a little bit of a weird comment especially given the fact that Thinking back to the Asian Championship qualifiers, I mean, here it became obvious again, this problem that this, this is the game where you have to rely then on these young players that have no playing time whatsoever. Um, like Harima Hirokane, for example, who is, I believe, a really good talent, but he is just playing in the reserve division. And this is not where you pick up any kind of competitive edge or competitive skill. So, yeah, I think that's 
especially for Kichi though, if you look through different squads, for example, in Eastern, you have Wong Tzu Ho as a regular starter. Um, in South China, you have a few young defenders now, since Chen Wai Ho is mainly starting on the bench. But for Kichi, it's ironic because they have all these academies behind them. Mm. Um, and for a long time already. So it's weird that there's, they are really trying to, to exploit the current rules that allow them to field non-locals just to the maximum in order to have a advantage on the pitch. In this age of xenophobia, I think it's worth pointing out that the reason we're talking about this isn't anything to do with localism or, or anything to do with a dislike of foreignness. But it just raises the question of well, where are young Hong Kong players going to come from? What are young Hong Kongers going to do when they think, well, oh, is this a good career path for me? Well, actually, no, because the one of the best teams in Hong Kong seems indifferent to bringing in young players. Now, un- would such a rule that we were discussing earlier with China, this under-23 thing, would that help? Because we already have that to a certain extent in the sapling court. But that is just the sapling cup. Yeah, and then still the teams have this backdoor where they have an either-or rule in terms of fielding foreigners or the U23 players. Like, sometimes they don't even have to field a U23 player. So that's also ridiculous. You know, you have a sapling cup and then you don't really follow up on that. But, yeah, if you, for example, look at China now, it was criticized beforehand and... Of course, the implementation can look a little bit dodgy, but in the long run, I think that it might really help. Um, for a few teams this weekend already, just because this is a team I know the best, but for example, Beijing Guan fielded a very young player, young under-23 player, um, Tang Zhe, and he had 75 minutes on the pitch, had a very good performance, but he would be expected the player who would sit on the bench for most of the time and then maybe get like 10 or 15 minutes of playing time at best. So I think although no, there, there is this space for undermining such rules, but I think Hong Kong should probably come up with something similar in the long run. Mm. And fair enough to the Yunlong chairman for putting this out because they do have a lot of young Hong Kong players and they actually play really well and they're having a good season and that's, and that's the case with other teams like Southern spring to mind. They have a lot of young Hong Kong players. So it's not impossible. Still, good win for Kichi. Not a bad attendance up at Yunlong. 2019 people. As attendances are still growing, I think. And the result leaves Kichi six points off Eastern at the top of the table. But they've played the game fewer. So that title race is still very much alive. Speaking of Eastern, they... Kept up that lead by beating RNF 4-0. Fairly straightforward result with quite a big cost, I think, because in the process of scoring the first goal on the 42nd minute, Manuel Blader, the league top scorer and the guy who won and scored Easton's penalty in the Champions League last week, hit himself and he had to go off injured. Do we know anything about his injury? So also, as he announced on his Facebook um, last evening, it seems that he broke his toe, which is a bad news for a striker in particular. I'm not really sure how it happened. If it was during during scoring the goal that he landed on the on, on the wrong side of the foot, I'm not really sure. Yeah, he but he I went know. off like 90 seconds after scoring the goal. So this was my assumption. It could be wrong. Yeah. 
but it probably means that he needs at least of two weeks recovery time, which is already a quite positive <laughs> uh, prediction. Um, but it can be up to one month, and that very much means that he will be missing for the next ACL match, which is a huge, huge, huge blow. Yeah, that's massive because so he'll miss the game against Suwon Blue Wings, and Easton can't replace him. Easton can't bring in another registered foreigner into their squad because they have quite good replacements like Giovanni De Silva. The question for me is why was he playing? In this game in which Easton are almost certainly going to win, when they have players who can't play in the ACL, like Giovanni De Silva, like Michel Lugo, I think that was a bit of a risk to play him. Like, fair enough, you can get injured in training, you can get injured however. And you shouldn't assume that if someone plays in a match, they're going to get injured. But I'm a little bit puzzled as to why Chan Yun-Ting felt the need to play probably their most important player in a game that they were very likely to win and in which she had ready-made replacements? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the only reason I could imagine is that he insisted to play and also that maybe Chen wanted to give him another competitive game because the, the next ACL game will just be 10 days later. Eastern will play in the Suppling Cup first on Friday night and this would have probably been the game where he wouldn't have played in the first place because it's not that important. But yeah, still against RNF it was definitely a risk not worth to take as it turned out eventually. That's what I think anyway. And we'll see if Easton lived to regret that decision. But yeah, he put them 1-0 up in the 42nd minute. Ten minutes later, Chang Siwai added the second. As we already mentioned, Giovanni De Silva scored with a very powerful, well-placed header on 61. And Li Ka Chun, the 24-year-old who come on as a sub in the 60th minute, scored one hell of a goal, didn't he? Yes, absolutely. One of the goals of the season, I would say. To make a four just before the end, that's his first league goal for the season. And of course, relatively unsurprising result. It's just a shame that it came at the cost of Manuel Blader's toe. From Eastern to Southern, who played Rangers at the weekend... And I would have expected them to win this game, but they didn't. They drew one all. Very nice goal from Paul. How do you pronounce his second name? Paul Moo? Mm, yeah, I would say, but yeah. If you know, get in touch. <laughs> Podcast at offside.hk. Paul Moo. Uh, only his second goal of the season, but he scored a very nice chest and lob over the keeper in the 32nd minute. And then Sudden's goalie was quite badly injured in the face. Stay attack him. Had to go off in the 53rd minute. Jordi uh, had played a very nice pass through to Wong Chun Hin. And then as Sayer came out to smother the ball, Wong slid in and clocked him in the face. I think he hit his chin. Was there anything wrong with the challenge? It was not really necessary, I think, to to go for the ball like this. But, but he had a chance of getting the ball. He had the chance, but yeah. It it maybe he was a little bit too ambitious, I think. Maybe. Like, but I think he he wasn't I think he didn't get booked and that I think there was no no need for that as well. No, there was no controversy really. And he felt very sorry. He looked very sorry, yeah. He, <laughs> he seemed quite apologetic. But Se went off the pitch for the sub goalie, Wong Ti Him, 
Uh, Wong made a very nice save from a chunking fun cross shot free kick later on. But he did have some bad luck when a looped header from his own defender, Garrido, came back off the bar and went straight to Lai Yu Chong in the 90th minute to equalise for Rangers. Bit of an upset, I guess, given that the form that Southern are in. Yeah, and I remember that very confidently last week we predicted that Southern should win that one. Yeah, we're bad at predictions. Yeah, and that Rangers, you know, they would be the chance to differentiate themselves. And they they use this chance very much, I think. So that's a big, big point for for Rangers. Yeah, definitely. One that they won't have been banking on. And good for them. The last game that we have to talk about is Pegasus versus Glory Sky at the Hong Kong Stadium. Pegasus were up 1-0. In the 15th minute when Luan Carhang rolled his marker and flashed across, across the goal. That fell to the Pegasus captain, Diego Martins, who scored. Now, Pegasus were without their usual goalie, Christian Almovsky. And so they started with 22-year-old Yoon Ho Chun in goal. This was his first start. He came on last week for Almovsky against Taipo and he didn't look very good in that game. And he didn't look very good in this game, I'm going to be honest. He faced a Beastly Glory Sky cross on the hour mark. And it should have been quite a simple catch. But he dropped it right onto the foot of Cheng Siu Kwan of Beastly Glory Sky, who poked in the equaliser. Now, this was a case of, I guess, quite unreliable goalies <laughs> for everyone. I mean, we, we've discussed Beastly Glory Sky's goalkeeper situation in this revolving door of random people <laughs> and they had this uh, Ukrainian goalie uh, Alexei Shliakotin in goal now the sub goalie they had was uh, Wong Se Young he's never played for the senior team before in fact his picture on the HK Premier League website is not him in a in football uniform it's just a normal passport picture so I don't know if he's ever even been involved in the first team. Yeah, they usually just do this for the reserve division. So everyone has to submit this passport photo. <laughs> and yeah, so it's very likely that he he never played for the first team before. But yeah, I, again, I think I'm just wondering where all these goalies are going from basic glorious guy. Yeah, so between these two teams, they probably had four of the least experienced goalies in the Premier League. Only three minutes later after that, Yoon mistake. He was let off the hook by his teammate Liu Kahang, who added to his assist with the winning goal. He has a terrific season, actually. Like especially now in the second part of the season, it really started to take off. Right? Yeah, he's definitely got a little bit of momentum since the beginning of the season. It's a little bit of an interesting one, is it? They've chopped and changed so much. You know, they brought in Charles Major, and he was the centre forward. And then he got moved back to centre back. They tried prayers the centre-back up front, and then they brought in Chan Suki. The only mainstay of that attack has been Leung Ka Hang, and that's only his third goal, but he's always seems to be involved in and around the action. The Macau-born striker. Yeah, good for him. His season's definitely picking up. Not so good for BC Glory's guy, who are now bottom of the league, but they're only a point off HKFC with a superior goal difference. Pegasus in the usual 7th, 8th kind of area. Currently 7th, 
one place ahead of Rangers in eighth. Now that's all from the Hong Kong Premier League, but we still have a lot to talk about, especially with regard to Easton's outings in Asian competition. And we're going to talk all about it after this brief Sonic interlude. The Hong Kong Football Podcast is out every Wednesday. You can get it from iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Okay, so as you can probably hear, it started raining here in Kowloon, Hong Kong. Apologies if this affects the sound quality that we've got going on. We're going to talk about last week's game between Eastern and Kawasaki Frontale. Big result for Eastern, a 1-1 draw for the second time in a row. And Eastern AFC Champions League game ended with one team only having nine men. Luckily this time it wasn't Eastern, it was Kawasaki. I've been thinking, Toby, I've been thinking of trialing. Uh, nickname for Eastern The Orientals What do you think? It sounds quite Orientalist <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I've got a reason though Because it's the same word, isn't it? The, in Chinese mm. Dongfang Is translated just as quickly into Oriental As it is to Eastern So I'm not being totally racist about this I'm actually <laughs> using the same name As perhaps you might use in Chinese what do you think? Are you kiboshing this? I'm not sure. I, I let you use it. I don't know. I'm not sure if I can 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 adopt it, but I let you know. <laughs> okay, we'll see how it feels. Yeah, we have to test it out. Get in touch, listeners. Am I being a little bit 1920s? <laughs> <laughs> or am I just coming up with a nickname which might work because I'm sick of just saying Eastern over and over and over again? The Orientals lined up with a 4-2-3-1, which seemed very solid and was a little bit different to how they lined up against Guangzhou Evergrande. Although it might be a little bit harsh to judge the formation that they used against Guangzhou, given that they got a man sent off only three minutes in. But they withstood a lot of possession from Kawasaki. They had a flatback four, which was protected by Diego Eli and by her, with Li Hong Lim... Leung Chumpong and James McKee behind Manuel Breda. The first sending off that we've already mentioned came for Tatsuki Nara, the left back for the Japanese side who was judged to have brought down Manuel Breda in the box. Breda gave Easton the lead with the ensuing penalty. What do you think of this decision by the Iraqi referee? It was very, very harsh. I think it was not even a penalty. And for sure not a red card. For the penalty, I, I could imagine it from the linesman position that it could have looked like that the Japanese player is pushing down Blader by his arm, like grabbing his arm and pushing him down. I, I could imagine it from his position it might have looked like this, but it was not the case. So it was just like they were stumbling over each other and some even pointed out that Referees could have given a foul against Blader in the first place when he was fighting for the ball. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty stunned when it when it was given, just because it was just a tussle, wasn't it? It's just a pretty straightforward tussle for the ball. I, it was hard to see. I think he put his arm on Blader's shoulder and then Blader goes down. Yeah, quite surprising and very fortuitous for Easton, but them's the breaks, you know. Yeah. You take you take what you get. 
and Blader scored that penalty. For the rest of the game, they gave up a lot of the ball. They only had 26% possession. But when they did have it, I thought, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, I thought they looked a lot more decisive and assured in possession than they did against Guangzhou Evergarden. Especially players like Diego Eli by her. They were making what I thought were very good decisions in terms of when to keep the ball, when to hold it up and let people like James McKee and Mamal Blader get into positions when to just launch it up to the wings and let people, let those very same people chase after it. Lee Hong Lim as well. And I thought it worked really well. Whenever they did get the ball in their own half, you would see McKee and Lee spread out to the wings. They really wanted to get it out there into that space, especially once a fullback had been sent off. They completed a lot more passes than they did against Guangzhou. They were giving it away a lot less cheaply. Is that fair? Yes, I absolutely agree. You could really see that they were following a very clear match plan and as you said especially the comparison how they played out the ball from the back and really looking either for McKee or Blader to get the first touch in the midfield and then launching the attack mostly then through McKee or Lee Hong Lim just let them run on the wings and see how far they get there um, but even like having this this plan uh, I think paid off let's remember against Guangzhou of course, you know, they were down to 10 men, but they still, they re- really didn't manage to produce anything significant above the middle line. But this time they got a few corners. Even like in the first 10 minutes when both teams had still 11 men, I think that Eastern looked much more solid and much more confident. And as you also pointed out at the beginning, I think it has to do with them switching back to this 4-2-3-1, which they have been playing all season and seem to be most comfortable with. Now, sadly, it didn't end 1-0. Kawasaki equalised to make it one all through Itakura. Yapung Fai does terribly for this goal. Yes, This is a real howler. And I think he knows himself. Like, he was really he was really berating himself for that goal. Yeah, I mean, the ball gets lifted over by, I think it was Reina, who is the forward for Kawasaki. He kind of plays an overhead lob into the penalty box. But yeah, who's probably his strongest suit as well as his shot stopping is his decision making. He very rarely lives to regret his decisions when it comes to staying on his line or coming out for the ball or collecting crosses and so on. He just makes a appalling decision. He doesn't need to come out for this ball. It looks like Roberto Alfonso has got him covered. And then even worse, when he does come out for it, he just really executes that bad decision really badly and ends up bizarrely jumping over the striker as he scored the goal which a goalie shouldn't really end up doing (laughs) (laughs) it it kind of looks like he's riding a tackle as though he's like a striker or something it's like well you can't ride (laughs) anyway not great really from a player who is normally so reliable for Easton he made a lot of good saves throughout the game it's not to say he had a terrible match but yeah what sticks in my mind is that poor decision from him Later on, Rainer, who I just mentioned, he was sent off. And quite a lot of anger in that after he was sent off and Kawasaki were down to nine men, giving Easton quite a numerical advantage. Easton weren't allowed to take the ensuing free kick, which I don't think I've ever seen before. The, the referee blew the final whistle just after handing out this red card. So not allowing the game to start again which is not something you see very often. Normally, the attacking team is allowed to finish their attack. 
Eastern were pretty angry, particularly Roberto Alfonso, who got booked <laughs> for berating the referee. Chan Yun Ting had to run onto the pitch and kind of grab him and pull him back. But I was I was pretty angry myself. It seemed like a bizarre decision by the referee. I think the whole night was not the best the best refereeing mm. that I've seen. And this decision was really weird because he was apparently acknowledging that there was a significant interception of the attack and sending off the player afterwards. So at least you should give them the free kick. As you know, this is like exactly the kind of free kick, for example, that Kitschi used against Hanoi from the midfield, launching the ball in the last minute Mm. into the penalty box and then scoring from a header, right? Yeah. So this would have been a worthwhile chance, I think. Especially since they had two more players on the pitch. Exactly. So it was, yeah, indeed a very strange decision. But nevertheless, I think um, we should also point out that towards the end, even like when it, even when Kawasaki still had ten men, um, Eastern had a few good chances. Josh Mitchell almost scored; his ball was saved on the line by a defender. And I think Roberto Afonso he hit the bar right, mm. with, also with a header. Again, I think it points to something that we have to maybe rely on more coming next week that Eastern probably needs to start to produce something out of set pieces. Yeah, now, speaking of next week, the Orientals need to win against Suwon, I would say, if they're going to have any chance of getting out of this group. But they're actually still in with a chance. They are, but as we discussed earlier, the big blow is Manuel Bleda is missing and Mm. I think that will make a huge difference. I'm not even sure how they would start or how they would line up now. What do you think? Well, the lack of play that is massive. My suggestion off the top of my head would be why not play James McKee up front and have Judith Schwein on the right. Now, anyone who listens to me on this or follows me on Twitter knows that I like Judith Schwein and I think he should start any game that he can for Easton because I think his dead ball threat is enough to warrant that. He came on against Kawasaki, played quite well. And to me, that makes the most sense. McKee, you know, he's played centre-forward plenty of times. Although he is more suited to being on the right side of the attack. To me, that makes the most sense. The other option would be the number 19. For yeah, the local forward. Shane yeah. Why, I think. Yeah, who, well, he's been overlooked recently. Yeah, but I think, as you said, I think James McKee might be the safer choice up front and Cheng Siu-Wai could be the person to throw in after you know, 60, 70 minutes when, when you really have to um, strengthen your attack. But yeah, I, I very much agree. I think that Xu Dezhuai will have maybe the most crucial role this time because it's even more so that Eastern will have to rely on set pieces. And for this, um, Xu Dezhuai is just... Very, very important. And even like in the midfield. Because he, compared to James McKean, I think that's also what we saw last week, is that he's the kind of player who is able to get past two or three players, just skill-wise, not through speed. This always like helps a lot by just um, getting the attention of two or three defenders and then creating other holes where he can deliver the ball to. And I think this is even his strength in the midfield and together with his skill from the dead ball, that should be reason enough to bring him. 
Yeah, and also on the topic of James McKee, he has scored six goals this season from nine starts. Lots of appearances from the bench as well, uh, seven from the bench, but, you know, that's not to be sniffed at. It obviously, wouldn't be a waste putting him up front. Do we agree that that is what... That is the Hong Kong Football Podcast official position, is that McKee should start up front and Julius Rice should start on the right. Yes, that's the official position that we are taking. Let's see how wrong we are next week. Now, what about... The opposition, Suwon Bluewings, what do we know about those guys? I think not too much. Yeah, we're not South Korean football experts. So what, what we really need is someone who knows a lot about this team that we can get on the line. Exactly. So it happened that yesterday I talked to Scott Whitelock, Suwon columnist for K-League United, a very good website about Korean football. You can visit them at kleagueunited.com. And also you can follow Scott Whitelock, who is more or less a Suwon Samsung Blue Winged hardcore fan. You can follow him on Twitter under at ScottySSBFC. And yes, I had the pleasure to talk with him and let's listen in. Run the tape. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hi, Torres. I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining us today on our podcast. No problems. I'm happy to be here. So where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm actually in Suwon in South Korea at the moment. I live and work in Korea. Um, so I can cover Suwon pretty comprehensively, which is great. So for all us ignorant um, Hong Kongers, where about is Suwon in South Korea? Suwon geographically is 30 minutes drive south of Seoul in the north of South Korea. Um, not too far away from the coast, um, not too far away from the main metropolitan area. It's a much smaller city than Seoul is, but it's still quite a big city in its own right with a population of just over a million people. Um, so it's a, it's a nice big area with a good catchment area for Suwon Blue Wings supporters. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Before we talk more in detail about the club, uh, just in general, South Korea, the clubs from South Korea, they have been, I think, um, the record winners of the Asian Champions League since they established that format. And generally, how important is the Asian Champions League for Korean clubs? For Korean clubs, it ranks quite highly, especially these days because of the payment that you can get if you win it. Um, last season, Jombok won the Champions League and they received three million US dollars. Um, whereas Suwon win, won the FA Cup uh, last year in Korea and they received 300,000 US dollars. So it's kind of a big deal money-wise. Um, for the supporters as well, they tend to go for it because Koreans are uh, incredibly patriotic people and very proud of their nation. Um, so Koreans tend to buy into it a lot because it's a way for them to spread the word of Korea across Asia. Um, and yeah, it's just a good way for them to show off. So it ranks quite highly. The league, the league will always come first for Korean teams, but also teams, especially these days with the money there, really want to tackle the ACL as well. Now, one big news for us was, of course, the disqualification of uh, Chembuk Hyundai. Um, what what was up with that? What exactly happened there? And how was it received in, in Korea? Uh, well, it all came about from a 
I think it's 2013, John Book um, have been discovered paying referees to provide favorable decisions for them. Um, it was kind of a low-level scout that was paying the referees, but it's thought that someone higher up in the club was ordering the scout to pay the referees. Um, and that all came to light last season, which resulted in John Book Hyundai being docked 10 points, I think it was, um, from their league total, which resulted in them losing the league on the last day of the season. Um, as a result of that, the ACL decided to exclude them from the competition. The general feeling amongst Korean supporters is that the K-League didn't do enough, the ACL did enough. Um, Korea has had its problems in the past with match-fixing, and it was thought that they'd all gone away, but John Book reared its ugly head, and it was hoped that they'd be made a real example of, but the example wasn't really made. John Book lost the league title last season out of their own doing really by not performing well in the last three games of the season and it was nice to see that the ACL owned up to it and decided to exclude them. Okay so let's talk a little bit more about Suwon who will be the next opponent for Eastern in the Asian Champions League. So Suwon they had a very good finish last year as I, I think at in the league and also a very good start into the Asian Champions League. Yeah, last season was a, a tale of two seasons. It was a little bit strange. Um, it went from absurd, absurdly abysmal in the first half of the season with Suwon hovering just above relegation places. And Suwon a huge team in Korea, so relegation would be an unthinkable thing. And then... It all sort of turned in September in the last two months of the season. Suwon really got a run together. They pulled away from the relegation places really easily and they went on a run which ultimately ended in, in them claiming the FA Cup. Um, and they've carried it all over into this season so far. Um, it wouldn't look like it on paper with three draws from three games, but a draw, a credit creditable draw away to Kawasaki in the first ACL game um, when they could have maybe come away with a little bit more um, but a draw was probably fair and then they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Guangzhou which uh, I wasn't expecting at all I probably really expecting the Brazilian trio in Guangzhou to tear it to pieces really um, but apart from two great finishers and a well, one great finish and a wonder goal from Kula, Suwon would have taken all three points against Guangzhou at home. And then the good start carried on into the weekend when we played our fierce rival, Seoul, um, on Sunday. Yeah, so we're, we've continued to form well from last season straight into this one. And the hope is we'll carry it on for a little bit more. Yeah, I hope, of course, not, not so much next week, but we will talk about this a bit later. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, let me ask, who are the star players at the moment at Suwon? Who are the players that um, we should definitely watch out for? Well, Suwon legend, Captain Yom ki is probably the one player who makes the team tick. If Eastern can stop him, then Suwon will be a little bit blunt in attack. Um, Yom ki is... Uh, Getting on in years now, he's, I think, 33 or 34. Um, 
but he is the Korean all-time leading assist maker. Um, last season, he had a quiet season by his standards, but still ended up with 15 assists to his name. Um, he's got a lethal left foot from set pieces. He can deliver from just about anywhere on the pitch. And if he is given time and space, it could be devastating for the opposition. Um, up front, we have a Brazilian striker, as many teams in Asia seem to have, um, named Jonathan. Um, he had a breakout season for us last season, scoring, I think it was 14 goals in 18 games for us. Um, he doesn't get caught up in general play a lot. He sort of lingers on the periphery of the game, but if the ball comes to him in the area, in the box, he generally puts his chances away. Um, at the back, a solid rock of a defender is Lee Jong-soo. Um, he's an old South Korean international, um, scored in the World Cup for South Korea, so is highly regarded because of that in Korea. A strong leader, a general of the team, and... Uh, He's vital to everything that we have going for us at the back. Um, we have one up-and-coming promising youngster called Jang Hoik. He's a right-back come right-wing-back. Incredibly fast, uh, incredibly good on the ball at dribbling, but can be caught out when when he's brought the pitch. Um, if Eastern really want to get at Suwon, they should try and attack down Suwon's right-hand side because sometimes... Jang Hoek is a little bit too ambitious. All right, that's good to know. We will we will um, forward this information. <laughs> But coming then to the match Eastern against Two One, it seems that um, especially in in the last week when Kawasaki played against Eastern, that maybe the Japanese side a little bit underestimated Eastern. How serious do you think is Suwon taking Eastern, and what do you generally expect from the game? I would like to see our manager not do what Kawasaki did. Kawasaki came with a weakened squad, left a few players at home, and yet generally did not take you seriously at all. And we all know what happened. They, you ended up getting a draw when you probably should have got more. Um, so I would like him to take a full squad. Whether he actually does, due to our tough start of the season, um, as I mentioned, we've played FC Seoul with the K-League champions. And this coming Saturday, we play John Buck, who are the reigning ACL champions. So whether he has minds to take full squad, I would like him to. Um, as regard, in regards to actually playing the game, I don't think any of the players that line up would take you lightly after the Kawasaki result. I think that opened a few players, a few teams' eyes. Uh, many people had predicted that you'd lose every game. I think you proved a few people wrong that you're a little bit better than that. And I would like to think that every player that enters the pitch would show Easton the due respect that they deserve. Okay, so given that that um, Suwon will take them very seriously, nevertheless, how do you think it, it's going to end? How would you call the game? If Suwon lose against Easton, there would be an absolute outcry. Everyone expects Suwon to go there and take three points. Um, a team that's on a very good run of form, that is strengthened in the winter transfer window, 
and a lot expected of Suwon from their supporters this season. So most people are expecting Suwon to go there and get three points. A lot of people are expecting that it won't be as easy as we thought that it was before the Kawasaki result. But a lot of people, most Suwon fans, would expect Suwon to be Eastern. Okay, fair enough. Uh, if you would have to call a result, what what would you think? Um, I would give it a good battle in two one two one. All right, yeah, that that sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but nonetheless, I uh, I wish you, yeah, yeah, maybe not the best of luck, but we probably could could live better with a draw. But um, thank you very much for joining us, Scott, and hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So this was Scott Whitelock, a K-League United columnist. And if you want to know more about Korean football, definitely follow him and K-League United. Yeah, thanks very much to Scott for joining us. It's definitely going to be another tough one for Eastern, but we hope that they can get another result at the Mongkok Stadium, which I assume will be full again, as it was against Kawasaki. Should be. I think ticket purchases... Again, got a boost after the 1-1. And we should see a good crowd. Cool. Well, on Wednesday night, that is tonight, South China are going to play HKFC in the Premier League. This is rescheduled from a few months ago. If you remember, it was rained off at half-time. South China with 3-0 up in that game. I assume that doesn't mean that they get to start 3-0 up in this game. No, usually the FA doesn't do that, especially for <laughs> for these kind of um, games that were called off because of rain. And interesting, actually, because South China at the time were on quite a thick vein of form. That was back when Nikola Komazic was scoring all of those goals. Back then. Yeah, yeah, back in those halcyon <laughs> days. He hasn't done that for a while. So HKFC might be a little lucky. They might be playing a different South China to the one they lined up against. And we're 3-0 down by half-time against last time. Do you think HKFC can build on their win against Taipo? I think that's maybe something that keeps them going or having some hope at least in that game. But nonetheless, I think that South China are the clear favourites for this one. It would be very surprising if they wouldn't take all points. Given that they have these options of Komodzic and Perovic up front, Aval, who seems to be back in form again after a while of disappearance. Hopefully, South China can get in check their maybe lack of motivation or, or will of winning. That's maybe a game where they get away with it, but as we have seen in the last few weeks, that's something that they seem to have trouble with. Speaking of a lack of motivation, do you think this will be the lowest attendance of the season. This is a Wednesday night, what we think will be a rainy Wednesday night in Chung Kwano against Hong Kong Football Club. I can't imagine it will bring out too many people. Yeah, it will be a tough one. I think mainly South China diehard fans will mm. be there, but aside from that, it's not a, a very attractive journey for a Wednesday rainy night. Now, that's the only Premier League game we have to discuss because this weekend is the semi-finals of the Sapling Cup. But they're both at the Mongkok Stadium, one on Friday night, one on Saturday afternoon. The first game on that Friday will be HK Pegasus versus Easton. Pegasus, of course, the holders of this trophy. And Easton probably have a lot of other stuff to be worrying about in terms of the league, 
in terms of the AFC Champions League. So my guess is that Pegasus are going to approach this with a lot more seriousness than Eastern. Yeah, you would think so. But then again, Eastern will definitely field Da Silva, Lugo and Saric because these are the players that won't play in the ACL and they want to have the playing time on the pitch. So they have this. I also, I'm also not sure if Yapung Fai wants to give up another game <laughs> because he just wants to play as much as he wants. Then again, Eastern has quite a few options. As you said, he might take it not that seriously, but it's a good way to bring in players like Cheng Xiuwei, the number 19, who would be like the second option as a striker in the ACL. And also maybe give some more playing time to right back Chen King Ho, who just returned from an injury and probably will also be in the ACL. So I think it might be a good chance for Eastern to give more playing time to some of the fringe players just as a preparation for the ACL. But Pegasus are now, I think, on the seventh yep, place seventh. in the league. So that's maybe all they, they have for the for the remaining season. So they maybe are more motivated to go for it. Although looking at the table, this is a total aside, by the way. But Pegasus actually played two games fewer than Taipo and are only, well, I say only, and are five points behind them. So they could actually suck Taipo into that netherworld in which Rangers and Pegasus exist. That kind of not going <laughs> to get relegated, but also not going to be in the top half right. netherworld. So I think Taipo needs to look out for that and they might live to regret that loss against HKFC. But speaking of Taipo, they are playing in the other semi-final against Southern and there are three buses for this game. Southern sponsor Kun Chung buses are putting on a shuttle bus service from, I believe it's leaving from both teams' heartlands, Aberdeen and Taipo, to take fans to the Moncock Stadium. Not the hardest stadium to get to, actually, but still, nice of them. Yeah. Good PR for one of the two bus companies that sponsors the club in the Hong Kong Premier League. Two district teams, both having good seasons. And I think both of these teams will be quite happy with the Sapling Cup. I think so. It's a tr- trophy that is worthwhile, especially for district teams who also have often youth academies. And I think Taipo and Salvan also field some young players from time to time. And Sapling Cup is maybe especially something attractive for the district teams. But how do you see that that game going? Who would be your favorite? I think it's got to be Sudan. <laughs> you said that last week as well. <laughs> yeah, but they only drew against Rangers. There's no shame in that. Taipo on the other hand lost to HKFC. So they, they both, I think, probably should have won at the weekend, taking into account who they were playing. But that's not how football goes. But I think Taipo had the more disappointing results of the two. And, you know, Sudan still haven't lost in ages and typo they seem to either turn up or not turn up they can flake off a little bit and their defending is a bit shoddy yeah. at times what I hope as a typo fan is that this loss against HKFC was a notch at the right time something that 
maybe they have taken a little bit too lightly. Now they can see how, where, it, where it goes to if they, if they play like this. So nevertheless, they still were the dominating side in that game and they just didn't score. But if, if Lucas da Silva catches up with what he has delivered before, I think typo might still be an opponent on eye level at this one. And I could see this to be a match that is just decided in overtime or even the worst case through penalties. That's 3 p.m. at Moncock Stadium on Saturday. Should be a good game. They are both going to be live on HKFC's YouTube channel, on on.cc and so on. And I recommend you watch. And let's not forget, there's still another game on Sunday. Yes, you're right. On Sunday at the Chung Kwan Sports Ground, we have some ladies football, the Hong Kong national team against the Singapore national team, the Dragons versus the Lions, the Battle of the Asian Financial Centers. What's the deal here? So it's an international friendly, but it's in preparation for qualifying. Yeah, for the Asian Cup qualifiers. The Asian Cup will actually take place in 2018. And for the women's, it's a very, very short qualifying round, which just is played out, I think, uh, across 10 days. Hong Kong finds itself in a very, very difficult group. And this group will be hosted by North Korea. So soon the Hong Kong ladies will travel to North Korea for this tournament. Hopefully they can leave afterwards. Hopefully. But their opponents there will be the likes of, of course, host North Korea, but also India, Uzbekistan, and South Korea. Oof. So, yeah, that's a very tough group. I think both North Korea and South Korea have very, very strong ladies teams already. And India and Uzbekistan are also on an upwards trend. So it will be a very tough group for them. And the Singapore match might give them some boost in confidence as well. I think that's something where they can get a result. But the Asian Cup qualifiers will be will be hard. Well, until then, we have the Singapore game that's at the Chung Kwan Sports Ground at 4 p.m. And tickets are only 20 Hong Kong dollars. So that's a bargain. A real bargain, yeah. You've got no reason not to go. And I think that's everything for this. Toby, can I ask you? So your CSL team is Beijing Guan. Your Hong Kong team is Taipo. What is it with you and green teams? Is this a conscious thing? No, not really, because I'm from Austria and I'm not a fan of Rapid Vienna. Ah, yeah. So my team there is black and white. And there's almost no black and white team. So like in Asia, if you look at in the CSL, there's no black and white team. In Hong Kong, there's maybe Citizen, but they actually play in green as well. So... Gamba Osaka? Yeah, but Japan is too too far off for me, so... (laughs) But I looked at them, to be honest, at some point. <laughs> oh, nice. But, yeah. So I, I settled with, with Guan, who played in green. And then Taipo, to be honest, I settled because it is really rooted in, in the community. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good theory you came up with. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you should move to Nigeria next and yes, support them. Sure. That's a good, as good reason as any to move to Nigeria, <laughs> I guess. Okay, on, on which levity... I think we should pull the plug on this podcast. By the time we speak next, listeners, Eastern will have played against 2-1 Blue Wings. That is next week, so it'll be the day before the next podcast. Don't be confused, it is not tonight. I am going to go off and try and come up with a better nickname for Eastern. And until then, take care, have a good weekend. I hope your team wins. 
Bye bye. Bye bye. We like Hong Kong. That's a place for you.